Now turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 19. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. Now, uh, now just a couple of the ladies who might be watching uh, have heard something very much like this message before. Um, but I really do believe that uh, for the vast majority of us, and myself included, this uh, today is the right time for this message. And uh, I wonder if there are any kids still watching, I want you to draw something for me. It'll help you to uh, understand what's going on. And you don't have to be a kid either. Uh, you can, any of you, just grab pencil or something, you can draw this, right? I want you to draw. I want you to draw somebody standing there, maybe a stick man or something, with their hands full of all sorts of bad things. I want you to see hands full of uh, mud and dirt, uh, death and sadness and loneliness. Just put loads of bad and sad things in their hands. And then I want you to draw the Lord Jesus taking all of that stuff out of their hands, holding it to himself and giving them instead good things, life, forgiveness, peace, happiness. That's what I want to see. Uh, and if you want, then you can take a picture of that. Send it over to me somehow, and uh, we'll see if we can put it on social media or something so we can all see what you've drawn. Right now, Matthew 19. Matthew, who wrote this gospel, he reminds me a little bit of my old biology teacher in Kumkan High School. His name was Mr. Williams. And uh, I tell you for why. It's because Matthew teaches the same lesson over and over and over again in different ways, until you get it, until you get it. And that's what my biology teacher did to me, and that's what Matthew is doing to us today. He's teaching us um, a number of th the same thing in a number of different ways until we get it. He's strung together for us a series of chronological events that are all teaching us the same lesson that the Lord Jesus taught him about how to be saved, how to receive eternal life, how to receive the forgiveness of our sins, enter the kingdom of heaven, to receive new life from the Lord Jesus. If that's your question this morning, how do I receive new life? How do I get eternal life? Then you're in the right place. The first lesson that Matthew teaches us is from verse 13 to 15 of chapter 19 where we see these little children that are brought to Jesus. It's a lovely, lovely image, isn't it? It says, little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray or bless them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought the children to Jesus. Now, when you think of children that are being brought to Jesus now, what sort of children do you see? I'm not talking children like our own um, uh, like our own uh, Ida McClessy, who's getting taller now, getting bigger. I'm not talking about um, even Alfie Payne, who seems to be growing at an incredible rate, or not even Ruth Lincoln's the little one. We're talking more like perhaps Kezia Lewis, a lockdown baby, or even someone even smaller. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus takes these children into his arms and blesses them. They're little babies. Babies brought for a blessing, brought for a prayer. But the disciples try and stop that from happening. They say, don't bring your babies to the Lord Jesus. Why is that? All sorts of people come to Jesus. Why is it that the disciples say, not these babies? 
Well, it's not the only time that the disciples try to stop uh, people coming to Jesus. They say only certain types of people can come to him, they said. Who is that? What sort of people come to see the Lord Jesus? You have pilgrims, they can come and see him. People who've travelled a long way to find him. Maybe rabbis can come and see him and discuss with him things about religion and theology. The penitent, people who are really repenting and feeling their sin, they can come to him and receive forgiveness. Generous people can come to him and give their money to him and support his ministry. Friends of Jesus can come and support him. Basically, the goodies and the baddies, they can come. Not boring babies. They're neither nothing or something. Nothing's really going to happen. There's no touching repentance for us to watch, no white-hot arguments or really clever debates, no near-death experiences where people pick up stones ready to stone one another. No, nothing like that with babies. This is just time wasted for the Son of God in the flesh. He has better things to do, more important things to do. Straight away, we should be thinking, what do I think? What do I think about people who come to Jesus? What sort of people can come? Good people, bad people, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. What about you? Can you come to Jesus? Well, the disciples tried to stop some people coming to Jesus, but Jesus has nothing of it. He won't have it at all. He, he tells the disciples, bring the children to me, let them come to me. And so he uses this opportunity now to teach them a lesson and explain to them that the kingdom of God, says here, belongs to such as these. Or of such, of these little children, these tiny little children, of them is the kingdom of heaven. What we have in the other gospel account says, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom like a baby receives things, won't enter it. What does that mean? It means this, that if anyone ever receives new life from Jesus, they only ever receive it like a baby receives things. Well, that begs the question, how does a baby receive things? You see, the comparison with babies here is to help us to realise the total helpless dependence in which any of us are ever saved. There is no working, there is no earning, there is no contributing to it. When it comes to receiving from Christ new birth, new life, or the big word regeneration, when it comes to receiving that, there's nothing in us at all. We receive it like babies. We just lie there in his arms and he gives it to us. When it comes to new life in babies, there's no choice. There's not even a capacity. There's not even an inclination towards it. They just lie there and receive it. In a way, Jesus is repeating a lesson, isn't he? Do you remember what he says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? It's forwards in your Bibles, but it's backwards in time. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, like a brand new baby, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
to be born again is a great picture, isn't it? It's so easy to see. Does a baby have anything to do with their birth? Our brother, Robert Bennett, had a birthday this week. He told me he was in his 80s, and I can't quite bring myself to believe that, but he says it. Did he have anything to do with his birth, where he was born or when? No. Just as it is with the first birth, so it is with the second. When it comes to receiving from Christ new life and the kingdom of God, it's just received in empty hands. So that's the first lesson that Matthew teaches us, that the life that comes from Jesus is received in empty hands, just like babies receive things. Now, verses 16 to 22 is the next lesson, because Matthew knows that we, we struggle to understand this sometimes and wrap our heads around it. So he gives us another lesson about this man. It's a, a rich, young ruler. And we know nothing about this man other than the facts that he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. That's all we know about him. And he tells us this story about this man who comes to Jesus. Now, interestingly, whenever we read in the Bible this little bit about the babies coming to Jesus, we read it three times. And after each and every time, we see this story about the rich young ruler. Do you think that's a coincidence? They're always put next to each other. We're meant to compare these two. All right, so let's do that. What question does the man ask the Lord Jesus? He says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Do you hear that? What must I do with my hands to earn eternal life? He's asking, how do I earn it? Incidentally, that was my own question when I was younger. And coming to the Lord Jesus for the first times, I was saying, what must I do to earn eternal life? You see already how different this is from the babies who just lie there and just receive it. He's there. How do I earn it? Jesus' answers here now uh, are really wisely chosen. Verses 17 down to 21. Wisely designed uh, to expose in this man his, his wrong thinking. They're not to be taken superficially, and they're specifically designed for this man in this situation. And Jesus tells him this. He says, if you want to earn eternal life with your own hands, then you must be completely perfect. You must keep all of the laws that are written in the Bible, every single last one of them. You must be perfect in and out, all in, out and out flawless, completely. Not a thought must be wrong, not a deed misplaced. And if you slip up once, that's it. You're done. You're toast. You're finished. You must be completely perfect. Does that make sense? Does that add up? God is holy. God is just. He's perfect. And so is where he is for us for you and me to live with him we must be holy like he is holy there's a man that some of you may have heard of um, called Jordan Peterson 
Um, he said last year, he, he does the rounds on YouTube sometimes, and some people like him and some people don't, but he said this last year, it was quite interesting. He says, who would dare to say, I believe in God, considering the demands that such a statement would make on your life? It requires an impossible perfection. Isn't that striking? All these laws that the Lord Jesus shows this rich young ruler, rather than show him how righteous he was because he kept all these laws, it shows him how sinful he was because he can't keep any of them. He must have broken them all. Matthew 5 is where Jesus talks about these commandments. And he says they're so much harder than you think. They go right down into your heart. It's not just a case of not killing someone. It's a case of not hating someone, not, not desiring to hurt them, not wishing you could have your way with them. It's not just about not committing adultery. It's about not even looking at a woman in that way, not looking at somebody who's not your husband that way. And so this man should have realized that rather than his hands filled with good works that earn eternal life from Jesus, they're full of sin. They're full of guilt, broken commandments. The Lord Jesus hones in on this, doesn't he? To show this man just how wrong he is, how futile it is to try and earn eternal life from him. Okay, then, if I can't earn eternal life or new life from the Lord Jesus, how am I going to get it? It must be received in empty hands. See, he's teaching us the same lesson here. As it happens, this rich man needed to let go. He needed to empty his hands and get rid of it. Because what was in them, do you know? If you look at verses 20 and 22, in one hand, he held all of his efforts. He says, all these things I've done from my youth, what do I lack? Look, I've got all these good works, all these kept commandments as far as he was concerned. And in this hand, verse 22, he had his money. And he just wasn't willing, was he, to let go of these things that he may have and receive from Christ eternal life in empty hands. I wonder what happened to him. We don't know. Did he empty his hands? Did he follow the Lord Jesus? Did he give up his own self-righteousness and his own, uh, all the things that tied him down here? Did he just follow Christ wholeheartedly? I don't know. But what will happen to you? It's one of the questions this little bit begs of us. What's in your hands? Are you holding on to things, onto self-achievement, onto your own works or your own money or whatever it may be? It's very hard, isn't it, to do that, to completely empty our hands and say there's nothing in me at all. It's all in Christ. And so this next little section, verses 23 to 30, is where Matthew helps us along in the process even further because he knows this is difficult. In verses 23 to 30, Jesus explains to his disciples, he says, it is really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. The more you have, the harder it is, isn't it? You might know that when you're moving house. The first time you move house, it's fairly easy. You can get most of your things into one car. 
The second time you move your house, you need to hire a van. The third time you need to hire two vans. It's just how it works. We accrue all these things. And the more we have, the harder it is to lose them. You know, the more money we have, the harder it is to see how much we need of the provision that Jesus Christ makes. The more security we have in this life, the harder it is to see how much we need Jesus Christ and his protection. The more religion we have in this life, the more prayers we say, the more Bible we read, the more church we attend, the harder it can be sometimes to see how much we desperately need the forgiveness of our sins from him. The more we have, the harder it is to empty our hands sometimes and just receive it from him. Now, Peter's been watching all of this, hasn't he? Peter's one of the disciples. He's there with Matthew watching these things happen, listening to these lessons from Jesus. And he's a little bit ahead of the others. Look there, verse 27. Having seen all these things that are happening, Peter says, see, we've left everything. He says that ruler, he wouldn't empty his hands, would he? He wouldn't let go of all of the stuff that he had. Uh, But we did. We left everything. What are we going to get? Do you hear that? He's halfway, isn't he? Peter sees, doesn't he, on one hand, that yes, new life is received as a gift in empty hands from no one but the Lord Jesus. That's the only way I'm going to get it. But he seems to think that his empty hands are earning that salvation. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, we have emptied our hands. What are they going to get? As if by virtue of empty hands, he earns or deserves that gift from the Lord Jesus. But Jesus answers him so wisely and kindly in verses 28 to 30, where he, he, he explains the answer in two halves, just like Peter was half right, half wrong. Jesus says to him, yes, Peter, you will receive eternal life. And more, coincidentally, but, verse 30, it's by grace, Peter. It's a gift. He says it's not earned by anything that you do, not even by empty hands. I decide who gets what, he says, because of my generosity. Not because of your emptiness, but because of how good I am. Because of how much I love to give eternal life to people. You know, some people in the world think, if I can impoverish myself, my emptiness will earn things from the Lord Jesus. And so they sell all their goods, move into monasteries or whatever it may be, become hermits and think that because they've got nothing, they earn something. No. Jesus says it's based on my generosity, my kindness, not on your emptiness. And so he winds up this little section, does Matthew, with the parable, verses 1 to 16 of chapter 20. And you know this is connected because the end of the parable is the same as the end of chapter 19. See where he says there, the last will be first and the first last. I wonder, when we were reading this, did you understand it, the parable? It's a bit bit strange, isn't it? It sort of rubs against our uh, culture a little bit. It seems so unusual. So let me explain a little bit to you. Um, a number of years ago now, I had the privilege of going with my dad to um, a place called Lokichogyo on the, on the border between Kenya and Sudan. And uh, while we were there, we were staying in a little compound. And outside the compound was a long wall with a little bench in front of it. 
And on that bench every day were tens of men just sitting there. And they did nothing all day. They just literally, all they did is just sit there. Eventually, at certain points in the day, different people would walk along the line of this bench, approach one of the men, ask him a couple of questions. What do you do? What are you good at? And all that sort of stuff. And then he says, I will pay you this amount to go to my garden and build a wall or whatever it may be. And so they go, they do the work and they get the paid thing that they agreed at the bench. And that's the sort of thing that's happening here in this chapter, in this little parable. The wage that these men, that these men are paid is gracious. It's by the discretion of the person who's paying them, the employer. They agreed it at the bench. The pay is not on the condition of the amount of work that they do, not even on how empty their hands were and how much they need the work. It's just on condition that they were given the work. That's why they're paid. You might put it like this. It is by grace that they received the job, not by any work that they did. So none of them can boast when they get the pay. You see, each one of these little mini accounts is like a hammer driving the same nail into us. That nail says the forgiveness of sins, the new life that we receive from Jesus Christ is not earned by anything, not even by empty hands. New life in Christ is received as a gracious gift from him. Just like a baby receives life from its parents, so that's how we receive life, if we ever receive it, from the Lord Jesus. Do you want it? If you want new life from Jesus, you must drop everything and receive it from him in empty hands. No more works, nothing I can do. No more religion, I can't earn it that way. No more morals, that doesn't impress him. No, no money, I can't buy it from him. No church, no pride in my how good I am a father or how good I'm doing in my job or how much money I give away to charity. I just drop all of that and just receive it from Christ. But we can't. We just can't empty our hands, can we? The Bible agrees with our conscience that our hands are not filled with good works to earn salvation. Our hands are filled with guilt and sin, pride, self-righteousness. Romans teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what's in our hands, guilt. And the way it works is like oil. It just gets on and we cannot get it off, no matter what we do or how hard we try. No amount of good works can undo the stain of sin that is on our hands. You know, trying to drop all of that guilt that we have, all the things that we do wrong, it's like trying to drop our fingerprints. They're not just on us permanently, so we literally can't drop them, but it's our identity. It's who we are. It's on us. It's in us. It is us through and through. We are sinners. We are helpless and we are guilty. We're so like this rich young ruler, aren't we? Coming to Jesus saying, what must I do to have eternal life? 
thinking that our pathetic little efforts can please him, thinking that the least good works, which in his eyes are like filthy rags, can cover that stain of sin that is on us. No matter how hard we try, our hands are full of shame. We're all disqualified completely from receiving anything good from Jesus because our hands are full of sin that we cannot drop. Indeed, the only thing that we have earned is judgment. Not only have all sinned, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so when all these people come to Jesus and when we come to the Lord Jesus, hoping to receive something from him, we find that our hands are by far from empty. They are guilty. And so we say, what must I do? What can I do that I can be saved? What must I do to receive, receive eternal life? Seems hopeless. You know, where this period happens in Matthew 19 and 20 is just as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. We have that even at the end of the section that we've read, where he says, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to condemn me to death. They'll deliver me to my enemies. They will mock me. They will scourge me. They will crucify me. On the third day, I will rise again. All of this is in the context of what Jesus is about to do. When he goes to the cross, what happens is he takes all of the sin, all of the guilt, all of those stains, every spot that is on your hands, everything that condemns you, all that stands between you and new life in his name, everything that disqualifies you from receiving the kingdom of God. He takes it out of our hands when we believe in him. He takes it away from us, bears it upon himself. And when he goes to the cross, he dies under the penalty of our sin. We find that our hands truly are finally empty, not because of what we have done, because we could never empty our hands, but because of what he has done. He's taken the sin away from us and it's been nailed to that cross and he has died in our place. Now we have empty hands and we receive from him because he is so generous and so kind. He throws down upon us from the same cross eternal life, righteousness, perfection, holiness, new life in his name. That's the gospel that Jesus Christ empties our hands for us and takes our sin away and puts in its place his perfect, holy righteousness. We receive new life in his name. You know, uh, a number of years after this event, there was a man who asked the disciples, the same disciples who were there, Peter was there. This man asks him, what must I do that I can be saved? And the answer that came to him was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in him. Believe in him. He will take your sin away and he will give you new life in his name. And so the thing left for us to do this morning is to forsake everything else. Drop all that you can. Forsake trying to earn eternal life. Forsake the sin that is in your hands. Turn away from it. Hate it. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can wash your hands clean and put into it the treasure that only he has to give eternal life in his name. I'm going to read a few words now from the book of Philippians, just a couple of words to give the last words to 
the scriptures and then we'll pray. These words come from Philippians in chapter three, and they capture this quite well. It says here, yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess before you how full our hands are and indeed how full our hearts are and how heavy we are laid down by a burden of sin and guilt that we cannot estimate. Only you know how filthy we really are because of our sins and our guilt that we are born into. But Lord Jesus, only you can give us eternal life. We pray that you should grant us the gifts of repentance and faith in your name, that we should receive the emptying of our hands and receive into them the gift that you have to give, eternal life in your name. Father, please grant us these things, that, that the Lord Jesus may be magnified and glorified and exalted in our lives, as we know in him and only from him, only ever from him, the forgiveness of all of our sins. We ask you to have mercy on us in this way, for his own name's sake. Amen.